You are listening to the sermon podcast of International Lutheran Church in Seoul, South Korea. I'm Pastor Chuck Hoffman. This sermon is on the gospel lesson for today. I'm calling it, The Workers in the Vineyard, The Parable Warning Against Sinful Comparisons. But I'm I'm going to begin with a very unrelated sentence. It's this. The water bombers arrived at the 11th hour, just in time to prevent the forest fire from engulfing the town. I, I love English. English is a very colorful language, I think. It's colorful because of all of our idioms. We speak in idioms all of the time. And this sentence that I just read to you, that contains an idiom as well, which is the 11th hour. Uh, We use that phrase nowadays to indicate that something has happened at the last possible moment. Uh, In the case of this example sentence, a a water tanker airplane came in and dropped a load of water on a wildfire or a forest fire at the last possible moment before that fire was approaching a town. And this idiom, like so many idioms in English, is taken from the Bible. In fact, it is most likely it has its origins in our gospel lesson for this morning, this parable of the workers in the vineyard. Uh, This is a great parable, I think, because it's rather easy for us to connect with the emotions in that parable. Uh, For me, anyway, the frustration expressed by the workers, uh, those who worked the entire day, I think it's very, very relatable. Just to review, you know, there were these few workers that were hired to work the full day, and that was sunrise to sunset. It would have been 12 hours or so, maybe 6 a.m. until 6 p.m. They agreed to work for the normal one day's wage, which at that time was a single silver coin, a denarius. Uh, That was the normal pay. More workers were sent out into the field. Uh, We are told at the the third hour, the sixth, the ninth, and then the eleventh hour. That's where that phrase comes from. Uh, But that translates to 9 a.m. at noon at 3 p.m. And then finally, the most ridiculous part of the parable the master goes and finds some people that have squandered the whole day sitting around with no work. The sun is already low on the horizon. The temperature has dropped. There's this pleasant, perhaps, breeze in the evening. And he sends out these workers uh, for just one hour's worth of work in the field. When the master pays the workers... He begins with those who had just arrived only one hour before, and he pays them the denarius, the full day's wage. 
And I can imagine those who had just worked for 12 hours seeing that and thinking, wow, I, we just got a raise. I mean, well, they worked for one hour and they received uh, a denarius. And well, I worked for 12 hours, 12 times as long. So I should be receiving 12 denarii. I'm assuming that's the plural. But they did not receive more. They were paid the same amount. And they became angry. But the master makes a pretty strong case in the parable. He says, first of all, I paid you what I had promised to pay you. No more and no less. So for what I paid to the others, that's my own choice. That's my own decision. After all, I have the right to do what I want with what belongs to me. And then this is the part that kind of hits me. He says, or are you angry over my generosity? Hmm. Jesus ends the parable, uh, how it started, the verse prior to our reading, by saying, And so the first will be last, and the last will be first. The problem that Jesus was warning against was the problem of sinfully comparing yourself to another believer and seeing what they have compared with what you have. The context here is pretty helpful. Uh, in the previous chapter, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to, to be saved and follow you? And, and Jesus tells him to give up everything and he can't do it because his, his trust is in his wealth and he's unable to become a disciple. And so Peter says, hey, look, we have left everything to follow you, Jesus. And, and so Peter says, so what is our reward? Jesus says, your reward is truly a, hun a hundredfold. Everything that you've given up, uh, if you've left family to follow me, if you've left house, if you've left home. So he says, your reward is great. But then he gave this warning. Not to compare your reward with someone else's. So I think we identify so much with those workers who worked the whole day. I know I would be upset too. I have to admit that. But it was wrong for them to, to look at what the others were receiving. Their concern should have truly been just between them and the master. Uh, there was no problem there if they kept their focus uh, on that situation only. The master promised a full day's wage and they received a full day's wage. The promise was kept. If they avoided looking to the left and looking to the right at the other workers, they would have been fine. But it's so hard to resist, right? It's so hard not to look left and right and see, hey, what, you know, what, what do they have over there? So when it comes to our spiritual life, when it comes to our discipleship, comparing ourselves to others rarely leads us to a good place. It may lead to sinful thoughts of jealousy or uh, allow anger to rise up. It's best, I think, to keep our discipleship between us and the Master, between us and our Lord. It's helpful to understand that although our work may be different, and people may come to faith at different times in their lives, the reward for being a child of God remains the same. 
life and salvation, the forgiveness of sins through Christ. That never changes. That is the promise to every child of God. For all who repent of their sin, for all who turn and trust in their Savior, and that is the promised reward, whether they have worked for 12 hours in the vineyard or just two minutes. Now, I don't often uh, do extended quotes in my sermons, uh, but I really liked what I read from an author named N.T. Wright. I think he summarized this quite well, so I'm going to show three slides, and I'll, I'll read through them sort of slowly so that you have time to digest it. Uh, he writes this concerning this parable. God's grace, in short, is not the sort of thing you can bargain with or try to store up. It isn't the sort of thing that one person can have a lot of and someone else only a little. The point of the story is that what people get from having served God and his kingdom is not actually a wage at all. It's not, strictly, a reward for work done. God doesn't make contracts with us as if we could bargain or negotiate for a better deal. He makes covenants in which he promises us everything and asks us everything in return. When he keeps his promises, he is not rewarding us for effort, but doing what comes naturally to his overflowing, generous nature. So all of this uh, reminded me of an experience. It's not a direct analogy, but it reminded me nonetheless. When I was living in California and I was serving as a student pastor of a church there, um, I worked really hard that year, and, and toward the end of the year, uh, I was going to take a vacation together with my wife, Jean. And so we got into our minivan, and we started to drive toward Yosemite National Park, uh, which is one of the most beautiful places on Earth. It's, it's truly, truly stunning. And so on our way there, I was having a good time driving my, my van. Um, but, but you have to understand something about my minivan, was it was quite old. It was 16 years old or so. And it spent most of those 16 years in the state of Michigan, which has lots of snow and salt on the roads and dirt. And so my car was rusty. Uh, the whole side of it on the driver's side was rusted through. I would shut the door and bits of would fall off of the car when I shut the door. So we were at a stoplight, and I also had the window all the way down because the air conditioner did not work very well either. So I needed the cool air. And I was at this stoplight, and this car pulled up next to me, and it was full of young people, teenagers. And they looked at my car, and because they were from California, they had never seen a car that looked like that before. And they were terrified by it. They said, well, what's wrong? What happened? I don't understand. And they, they were almost scared. And they started to mock my car and make fun of me. And of course, I looked left and I looked at these teenagers with their nicer car than mine. And I started to compare in my heart. And I became upset that my reward was different than their reward. Gene said, it's okay, Chuck, just ignore them, roll up the window or something. 
but the damage was done. My pride was hurt uh, because I thought, why don't I have something nicer? Why can't I provide better for my wife and my family? And you know that burned me a little bit, and it maybe took me an hour or so of driving to forget about it. But at the time, I was upset. And I, I realized that at that moment, I had a choice between comparing myself with others or in becoming angry and upset and embarrassed or just focusing on how greatly I was blessed already. Uh, uh, because I chose to compare, I became upset, but I could have focused on this. Uh, seated next to me is the most wonderful woman in the world, the most beautiful woman in the world. And we are driving a car to Yosemite National Park, one of the most beautiful places in the world. And this car runs, and that's all that matters. It gets me from where I am to where I want to be. I don't need anything more than that. I was truly, truly blessed in that situation. My reward was more than I could have ever asked for. When we focus on the gift of grace and salvation given to every disciple of Jesus Christ, then the comparison sort of drops away, and we are all children of God. We are all children of the same covenant. We are all children of the same promise. We have all the same problem, sin and death, that we also share. And all who believe in Christ then are offered this same generous grace, this same generous promise that is kept. All of this is to say that the gospel is very unfair. Uh, that's what I wrote in my newsletter uh, this week, the unfair gospel. And it is unfair in human terms. But thankfully, God does not deal with us in human terms. That's kind of what he says through Isaiah this as well today. And so that's how I want to close this message uh, with God's word to us from Isaiah. And maybe you'll see why they decided to connect these two readings. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Amen.